0: so good to be here uh, with you all this morning. Um, just such a privilege to, to be together, to sing, uh, to enter into this Advent season, singing these familiar but, but wonderful uh, songs and, and turning to just this, this really great letter <laughs> that Paul wrote to the Philippians that's been preserved for us, uh, what a privilege it is that we still have it and we still get to learn from it um, and, and be pointed to Jesus in the midst of it. So I'm going to pray for us one more time and we'll, we'll dive in together. Lord, thank you for this time. We're so grateful uh, for your love, for your kindness, all that we have to be so thankful for, especially uh, for your son coming uh, to this earth, uh, living and dying for us, the hope of the resurrection, the hope of the return of Christ. And Lord, in all these things, we pray we will be reminded today and that you would grow us uh, through your word, uh, that your Holy Spirit will work among us. Please help me and please help all of us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, about 15 years ago, uh, Catherine and I purchased our first home, and I was very nervous about this purchase for several reasons, one being just the amount of of money that's involved, especially the first time you buy a house, you're like, this is so much money, this feels so crazy. Uh, But the other reason was the fact that that I was really the furthest thing uh, from a handy person, and I just didn't know that that I would be able to fix anything uh, that broke ever uh, in the house. Well, both of these concerns came to an ugly head uh, one day right after we moved in uh, where I, I realized not only did we buy this home, but also you need to buy a bunch of things to, to help take care of the house, including uh, on this day a lawnmower. And after a lot of hemming and hauling, I, I spent about $90 for the cheapest lawnmower uh, that I could find. And soon after that, uh, I, I got it out and I mowed our lawn for the first time Now, at our old house, some of you were at our, our old you know, little townhouse. Uh, we had the smallest lawn, I think, of, of all time, uh, but this did not stop me on that day from manufacturing a crisis. At some point, I don't remember why. I had to turn the mower off and, th- and then try to turn it back on again. And I tried you know pushing the little primer button and then pulling on the cord, but the cord just would not budge. It, se- it seemed like the thing w- was broken already, and I-, and I had zero confidence in my ability. To fix it, and everything just seemed too overwhelming to me. So I, so I marched into the house, and I forget the exact words, uh, but I believe I announced to Catherine, the lawnmower is broken, we shouldn't have bought this lawnmower, and we shouldn't have bought this house, in a very calm, measured way. <laughs> Catherine, being the sane one in the relationship, still to this day, calmly went outside with me, took one look at the lawnmower, and realized that the cord was just tangled up. A little bit. She quickly untangled it in about two seconds. Started the lawnmower, and the lawnmower has worked fine ever since. Literally, we still have it today. It is a continual <laughs> reminder of my foolishness and lack of faith. I was never good at figuring things uh, like that out, and, and it would never help, you know, when people would try to explain things to me, or even when I had the, the printed instructions that would come uh, with the product. Just not really my thing. But I, I will say this. When YouTube came along and I began to actually be able to watch people do things, it was really very life-changing for me. And I mean that. I, I've learned how to do uh, so many things because instead of like listening to someone trying to tell me how to do it and, and trying to picture it in my head or having the, the printed instructions that I can't follow, instead of paying 19.99 99 for those Time Life Home Improvement books, anyone else remember those? Am I the only one? I can now just type my problem into the search bar. I can watch someone fix the problem, and explain it as they do, and then I can go and, and do the same thing. It's, it's a helpful, good example that, that I can see in front of me, and it's incredibly helpful. And not only that, it makes me more confident for whatever the next challenge is. Well, we're continuing today with our journey through a letter from a man named Paul to a church in a city known as Philippi. And throughout the first couple of chapters in this letter, Paul has been returning to similar themes again and again. But in today's passage, at first read, it almost seems kind of like a throwaway paragraph that is just kind of detailing some travel plans. One prominent commentator on Philippians had the following to say about this passage. He says, after the exalted language of the Christ story in chapter 2, verses 6 to 11, and the striking metaphors later in chapter 2, by which this was applied to the Philippian situation, it is easy to view this material as mundane, which in a sense it is. That's what he says. So I'd like to do two things. First, I'd like to thank Max for assigning this mundane material to me while he takes all the awesome passages, apparently. But second, to say that the joke is on him, because this passage actually has a lot going on because Paul in detailing these travel plans of Timothy and Epaphroditus tells us so much about them and in doing so he gives the church in Philippi the power of an example that they can see and follow and we'll see that that this passage really fits right in with the rest of what Paul has been saying and it is especially descriptive of church culture when it is at its best reflecting the goodness of God Paul, for the most part, in in this passage, does not like directly instruct the church, but he does give them two flesh and blood examples of the kind of attitude, the kind of humility that he has been talking about. And this is such an important topic uh, for us to think about because we know this, that church cultures are not always what they should be. We see, and and sometimes some of us have even experienced cultures of of pride and, and arrogance and even abuse in the church. And these cultures don't just pop out of nowhere. These cultures are very much driven by what we find good and what we find beautiful and what we find valuable. And what God desires is that in our lives, through the Holy Spirit, we learn more and more what true goodness and what true beauty looks like and how it is worthy of our love and our honor. And this is what Paul is doing in this passage for the Philippian church It's just that he's doing it as he recounts travel plans. And so let's look at those plans in detail together. We'll begin with verses 19 to 24, where Paul talks about his plans to send Timothy to them. I'll read that section again. It says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. So Paul moves from his discussion in the previous section about, about what it looks like for the church to, to shine as lights in the world to these upcoming plans for visiting the Philippians. And the first thing that we should note when we look at these plans that Paul is laying out is that they are all subject to the plans and desires of the Lord. Right? He hopes in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to them. He trusts in the Lord that he himself will get to visit. He knows that all these things that he's laying out are not ultimately up to him, and that's a theme that really pervades this letter. And one of the other themes that pervades this letter is the affection that Paul has for the church there. They have cared for him really well, and there's this high degree of of mutual concern and mutual affection. Of course, the issue is that Paul is not currently able to go see them because he is writing this letter from prison. And even if he was not in prison, Paul was just one man, and we know that he was concerned for several churches that he had helped to start. And so there are other people that God raised up to help Paul in this task. And of all these people, there were none quite like Timothy. Paul and Timothy were extremely close. In the Bible, we even have two letters that Paul sent to Timothy, two letters full of warmth and instruction from Paul to Timothy, with Paul encouraging Timothy in his own ministry. The Philippians were well aware of Timothy. Timothy had already been there. He he was there with Paul during his missionary journey to Philippi. And and they probably would have been very glad and and excited to receive Timothy Timothy, especially since Paul at the time was not able to come. However, Paul is not sending Timothy at this point, although he does hope in the Lord to be able to send him soon. And this might have surprised uh, and, and, and concerned even the, the Philippians. And so he explains why Timothy is not coming. And to explain this, Paul demonstrates just how valuable Timothy is to him. Paul isn't able to send Timothy at this time because he himself is still in a very hard situation, being in prison. And he wants Timothy with him until he sees how this present situation turns out. And Paul says he has no one like Timothy. And, and so what is it that makes Timothy so valuable? Paul tells us. Timothy is someone basically who cares for other people more than he cares for himself. Remember back in chapter 2, Paul tells the Philippians, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Well, that's really who Timothy is. While others seek their own interests, Timothy seeks those of Jesus. And he does this by caring for other people, including Paul and including certainly the church in Philippi. And Timothy demonstrated this character by his service with Paul. Paul likens him to a son serving with a father. And keep in mind, Right, that back then, that's often what would happen in families. The sons would serve alongside fathers, learning the family trade, just as Jesus himself did with Joseph, his earthly father, the carpenter. Paul has seen Timothy demonstrate his character through service. And for this reason, while Timothy certainly loves the church in Philippi, Paul needs him for the time being as he works through his own trial. And I think when we consider this, it's really interesting. That Timothy is not primarily valuable to Paul because of certain skills or gifts that he has, but because of his character. Paul doesn't need Timothy there necessarily because of certain things that he does, but because of who Timothy is. And we know from other letters that Timothy was definitely gifted for ministry, and that's not unimportant. We don't want to devalue that. But what Paul really cared about, what Paul really honored and loved about Timothy was not Timothy's gifting but his character. And reading about what, what Paul commends Timothy for got me thinking about what we normally commend one another for in, in our culture. And I think it's, it's safe to say that as a culture, our, our default is, is to value skill and, and power and productivity and results over character. And that, that's just the, you know, the cultural air that we breathe, maybe even more so in, in parts of the country like ours. We see it in the workplace, we see it in politics, We see it in sports where everyone debates who should win the MVP award. but Absolutely no one debates who should win the sportsmanship award, including me. Given this atmosphere, right, if we're not careful, we can also bring this cultural lens to bear on the church. And what we love and what we honor can get out of whack quickly. And, you know, there's story after story at churches where external things like gifting, (laughs) extraordinary skill in, in, in preaching or music... Or, or things like, like numerical growth were valued more than growth and character and Christ-likeness. And eventually, you know, very often these ministries end up imploding, leaving all kinds of pain and destruction in their wake. You can, you can read and listen to stories of churches like this, and they're worth paying attention to because of the lessons that these situations hold for all of us. This can be a temptation for any church. It can be a temptation for Meadowcroft. For example, it might be harder to see on, on a holiday weekend, but our, our, our church is larger than it was 10 or 15 years ago. And that, that's not a bad thing. We're, we're really glad for everybody who is here. But in those seasons of growth, it's especially important not to kind of get blinded by those external markers of growth, but continuing to value the marks of, of true health in the church, the, the depth of, of character and a depth of growth and becoming more and more like Jesus and seeing and treasuring him And an understanding that that any growth that that does happen is due to God's good pleasure and not due to, to people or leaders that have, like, figured something out that others haven't. Seeing a church grow, seeing a church culture grow in humility and grow to love and value the things that God loves and values. And that's what Paul is after here as well. Paul desires that the Philippian church would grow in valuing and loving the right things, in loving Jesus, and imitating Jesus. And so Timothy is a model of what this looks like, and that, and that seems to be why Paul is talking about Timothy so much, even though Timothy himself is not able to visit. But we should notice one other thing, though, and that is why Paul is eager to eventually send Timothy. It's so that Paul can be cheered by the news he hears about the Philippians. Now remember, everything was not perfect in the church in Philippi. and, And Paul will have some somewhat difficult matters later in the letter to address. But Paul is still confident that he will be cheered by the news that he receives because as he has already said earlier in this letter, he is confident of God's work among them. You might remember back in chapter one, verse six, he said he was confident that God would continue the good work that he had begun among the Philippians to carry it on to completion. This is such a key character trait of, of Paul, and one of the ways I think he is such an example uh, to us. Paul wasn't naive. Paul knew that churches had problems, and he didn't avoid them. But the failures and weaknesses of the churches that he ministered to did not lead Paul into cynicism he continued to have eyes to see the work of God in their midst. And that was true not only in Philippi, which was a relatively healthy church, but even at a church like the one in Corinth, where there was all kinds of crazy stuff going on that he needed to address. Paul noted the evidence of God's work in their midst. And as we think about how this section of Philippians helps us to consider what what the culture of the church should look like, I think one of the marks of a a healthy church culture is that the people in the church don't become cynical about the church and other people in the church, even after living together in a church family for a long time and seeing one another's faults and weaknesses. In a healthy church culture, the temptation towards cynicism will be replaced not by, by being naive, not by pretending that everything's awesome all the time, but by confidence in the good work of God among his people. Paul saw lots of things happen in the churches that he helped to start. And yet he continued to know and believe that God was at work. And the prevalent note of his ministry and his letters, even when he says hard things, is that he is rejoicing in God's work among un- imperfect churches and imperfect people. And Paul turns his attention in the second part of our uh, of our verses, to another one of these imperfect people who was being transformed by the grace of God. And that person's name is Epaphroditus. Verse 25 says, I have thought it necessary to send to you, Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death. So in this section, Paul describes everything that their friend, Epaphroditus, has been through. And to understand why this is significant, again, we need to appreciate the context. It appears that Epaphroditus was was the one who had delivered to Paul a financial gift from the church in Philippi. And it might have been surprising to the church in Philippi that it was Epaphroditus who would return to them with this letter from Paul. We can tell from, from the context of the letter that, uh, as we have said, that the Philippians may have been expecting a visit from Paul or, or failing that from Timothy. The, the Philippians loved Epaphroditus and all, but, but he wasn't Paul and he wasn't Timothy, and, and so Paul's looking to address that. Catherine and I went to uh, a couple months ago to a concert of one of our favorite bands, the Killers. And one of the traditions that the Killers have in their concerts is that, is that for a certain song, they call someone out of the crowd to come up and play drums for them. And so when the song in question began at the the concert we were at, they called this young man out uh, from the crowd, and he came up, and he played the drums to absolute perfection for this song, and the the crowd just absolutely loved it. It was one of the highlights of the show. But you know what we would not have loved? (laughs) If we had gone to the concert, and the killers came out and announced that the whole concert would be played by a band made up of simply audience members, That would have been greeted much less enthusiastically. It would have been a huge letdown. We were there to see the killers, right? And Paul seemed to understand in this context that a visit from Epaphroditus might feel like kind of a letdown to the church in Philippi, when they were hoping for Paul, when they were hoping for Timothy. But Paul wants to explain why it is good that Epaphroditus is the one who is coming back to them. And to do this, Paul speaks in very similar ways about their own Epaphroditus, as he did about the much more prominent Timothy. He says five things to demonstrate how he feels about Epaphroditus. The first three about his relation to Epaphroditus, that he is a a brother, meaning that they are united together in their belief in Jesus, that he is Paul's fellow worker, meaning that he has joined Paul in his ministry, and that he is Paul's fellow soldier, showing that he has endured much in the ministry. The last two words then remind the Philippians that that he has been their representative with him. He's he's the one who brought the message. He's the one who ministered to Paul's need, presumably by delivering this gift from the Philippians. And much like Timothy, Epaphroditus has displayed his character through the way that he shows his concern for the needs of others. First by by delivering the gift to Paul, but also for what he went through to do so. Paul says that that Epaphroditus nearly died for the work of Christ— And he tells us that he was ill and he was near to death. Piecing these things together, it seems that Epaphroditus became ill, possibly on his way to deliver the gift to Paul, but yet he kept going. He continued out of his concern for Paul. And Paul even says at the end of the passage that Epaphroditus risked his life to complete what was lacking in the service of the Philippian church to Paul. And when Paul says that, he's not criticizing the Philippian church He's just saying, look, somebody had to be the one to deliver the gift, and that that Paul needed people present with him to help him. And the whole Philippian church couldn't do it because they were separated by distance, and so Epaphroditus is the one who stood in and bridged the gap. And if he hadn't done what he did, the Philippian church would not have been able to care for Paul in the way that they did. And then what happens is when Epaphroditus becomes ill, he becomes very distressed, But he's not distressed, according to Paul, because he's sick. He's distressed because he knew that his friends heard that he was ill. He was worried that they were worried. And again, we see the character of Epaphroditus. Even though he was very sick, he was still thinking of others more than he thought of himself. We can only imagine how happy this made Paul. That this person from a church that he had helped to start was becoming more and more like Jesus by caring for other people. And God added to this joy that Paul had by healing Epaphroditus. And we see here, this was not like the sniffles that Epaphroditus was healed from. He was ill and near to death. And it's easy to forget that medical treatment back then was not as reliable as it is now. And so Paul was very obviously seeing God's mercy towards Epaphroditus. God was merciful towards Epaphroditus and merciful towards Paul. Because you can imagine how Difficult it would have been for Paul if Epaphroditus would have died as a result of trying to help Paul. But God showed his kindness to both of them. And now that Paul has had this joy, he wants to share this joy with Philippi, and that is part of why he is sending Epaphroditus back. Paul knows that Epaphroditus belongs in Philippi, and he wants to see him back home safely. And he wants the church in Philippi. To not be disappointed that it's not Paul, that it's not Timothy, but to rejoice in the mercy of God shown in Epaphroditus returning home to them. Paul wants to make sure that Epaphroditus' return is everything that it should be. Because he tells them that Epaphroditus is worthy of their honor and that they should honor him and others like him. And so again, we see that even here in Paul's travel plans, he is caring for and instructing the Philippian church. We said earlier that that Paul is addressing specifically the culture of the Philippian church. That he wants them to be a church that loves and honors the things that God honors and loves. And we see that Epaphroditus is worthy of honor. Not primarily because of skill or gifting, but because of his character. A character that is imperfectly but truly reflecting the character of Jesus. We had a membership seminar last week. And there's a quote that I share in every membership seminar from an author named Carl Truman in speaking about what truly matters in the culture of a church. And he said this. He said, The church has survived throughout the ages, not just or even primarily because of the high-profile firework displays of the great and the good, but because of the day-to-day faithfulness of the mundane, anonymous, nondescript people who constitute most of the church and who do the grunt work and the tedious jobs that need to be done. History does not generally record their names, but the likelihood is that you worship in a church which owes everything, humanly speaking, to such people. Timothy and Epaphroditus were two such people, although their names actually were recorded. And Paul wants them to honor people like this because these are the people that matter so much to the true, lasting, flourishing of the church. And just as the church in Philippi is called to honor Epaphroditus and those like him, I, there's a similar call here for us as well. Part of, part of living together as a church is having eyes to see those serving, to honor them, and to imitate them. There's a lot to be thankful for here at Meadowcroft. One thing I'm thankful for in this season is that God is allowing us to identify and train several new deacons and several new shepherding servants to help us care for the church. One of the best things about this process has been receiving all the nominations and looking through them and being reminded of how many people in the church are already serving in this way. People serving in in children's ministries, AV, administration, greeting, Bible studies, small groups, so much more, including just informally and organically being people who, who check in on others and pray for one another and care for one another. And I'm so glad in receiving these nominations that the church has eyes to see these things and to honor these things together. And to the extent that Meadowcroft honors these people who sacrificially serve, that ends up saying a lot about the church and helps to set the trajectory for the church as we more and more come to honor and love the things that God honors and loves. It's one of the ways that that God changes us and grows us. As many teachers throughout church history have pointed out, going back at least to Augustine in 400 AD, we are very much shaped by what we love and what we revere and what we think highly of. And God is in the business of changing what we love and what we revere. And this passage in Philippians puts that change on full display with with Timothy and Epaphroditus, two people who have been transformed by Jesus. And this passage also speaks to another transformation that it's easy to miss. In fact, I missed it until a commentator pointed it out. And that is the transformation in Paul. We see this transformation right throughout the New Testament. And we see it in this passage when we see, when we consider how highly Paul speaks of Epaphroditus, his brother, his fellow worker, and fellow soldier. See, as you consider how Paul speaks about Epaphroditus, consider who Paul once was. He tells us right after this in chapter 3, which Max will begin covering, Lord willing, next week. He says, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, this is Paul speaking, I have more, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. The old Paul, Saul, would never have associated with somebody like Epaphroditus. Because a Pharisee like Paul would have considered Epaphroditus a Gentile dog, almost subhuman, not worthy of his acknowledgement, let alone respect or brotherhood or partnership in ministry. But Paul has been changed because he encountered Jesus. See, Paul was once beholden to the way that the world saw and valued people. But Jesus changes all of that. Jesus changed what Paul found valuable. And worthy of love and worthy of honor. As we said earlier, our our first few songs today indicate to us, you know, we are coming into a season that the church refers to as the Advent season. And one of the things we do in the Advent season is that we remember that Jesus came to this earth. And we remember that he came in a way that completely subverted what the world loves and what the world values. Earlier we sang A Little Town of Bethlehem, one of my favorite Christmas songs, partially because it speaks to the humility of Jesus' coming. He didn't come to the big capital city, to the palace, he came to the little town of Bethlehem. The angels didn't announce his birth to the the kings and religious leaders, but to lowly shepherds. Even the way he comes, as a little baby born into a nondescript, many ways run-of-the-mill family, subverts what the world would have said was valuable. And Jesus lives in such a way that subverts everything we tend to think about, what is valuable and what is honorable, living in extremely humble circumstances, associating with the least of those in society, and dying on a Roman cross that was reserved for the worst of criminals. As we consider the examples that Paul holds up in this passage, we see that they are small and humble, but significant reflections of who Jesus is. When Epaphroditus and Timothy considered others more important than themselves, they are a small but significant reflection of Jesus who left heaven and came to earth to love and pursue people like us. And just as Epaphroditus suffered, but now in this letter is receiving the honor of Paul and the welcome home of the Philippian church, this is a small but significant reflection of Jesus who suffered greatly, even dying on a cross for us, but then being raised from the dead and being welcomed home to heaven when he ascended after his resurrection. As we said, this is the Advent season. And yes, in Advent, we remember that Christ has come. We celebrate his coming, but that is not all that we do. Because Advent is not primarily a season of remembering, but a season of longing, a season of expecting. It's a season when we acknowledge that all is not right. In the world. It's a season when we acknowledge that that the world does not love and honor the things that God honors. And that if we're honest, very often neither do we, even in the church. And seeing what, what, what's wrong out there and seeing what's wrong in here leads us to long for something better. And Advent reminds us that there is something better to come. That's why Advent is a season of hope. It's a season where we long for Jesus to return one day and make things new and make things right. And one of the things that will happen on that day is that everyone who trusts in Jesus will be raised and will be welcomed home in a way that will far exceed even the great welcome that Paul desired for Epaphroditus. Think of the joy on that day when we with changed and renewed hearts rejoice in the goodness of God and rejoice in the ways he worked in and through us while we were here we're not at that day yet (laughs) but in the meantime he has given us the church as a place where we work these things out together we would begin to work these things out together a place where we live in light of that day seeing and honoring the name of jesus and seeing and honoring the ways that his character is revealed even in our humble little church family learning to love what god loves learning to honor what god honors a place that is a humble and small but significant reflection of the life and character of Jesus Christ. Loved us. Gave himself for us. Let's pray together. Lord, what else can we say? We are so thankful for Jesus and we are so thankful that he came to this earth and we are so thankful that he is coming back and we are so grateful that this world and this life is not all that there is, Lord. Help us to live in this life in light of what is true eternally. Help us to long for and look forward to the day that Jesus returns. Help us to know that because of Jesus, because we are united to him, that we will truly be welcomed to him someday. We thank you for the examples of Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus. We thank you for the examples we see here in our church family. And we pray that when we encounter these examples, we would be drawn more and more to love and honor what you love and honor, and especially to love our Lord Jesus. We pray all this in his name, amen.